0: Well, it's an awesome day to be in church. Tonight we want to talk briefly, for the time that we have, about our position in God. Your position. What is the position that you hold? Tonight we're going to be talking about being a son, transitioning from being a servant or a slave into a son. And someone might ask, well, I'm a woman. How can I be a son? And my answer to that every time is, well, the same way I can be the bride of Christ. That's how you could be a son, okay? So just uh, kind of like deal with it. And realize that in Christ there is no uh, male or female. There's no slave nor free. It's uh, We're spirit. And in the spirit, there is none of that. So all this... Uh, Gender confusion all kind of goes away once uh, we go to the next life, so we're all good. So we got that to look forward to anyway, along with a lot of other things. So tonight, we're going to talk about being a son, and positionally, being a son is very different than just being a child. So you can be an infant in the house, and you have some some privilege, just by being born as a as an infant in the house, and then you have the young child, whether that 's you know somewhere between three and twelve, and they 're a, a tweener, and uh, they have some privileges and some responsibilities, and then you get to be that thirteen to nineteen, and they have more freedom and more responsibility, and then you become an adult and then you move out on your own eventually, and you begin the process all over again. But the transition really goes from infant to adolescent to young adult to adult to independent adult. That's in our lives. Or in the vernacular from the Bible, it would be from slave to employee to son to father to patriarch. And that transition that happens in in our lives. But it starts with the real, the real benefit or the, real, the part that where it becomes fun is when you realize that you're a son. Because sons have rights, responsibilities, privileges, and obligations. So you don't have rights without responsibilities. You don't have privileges without obligations. See, right, right away that somebody's saying, well, I got my rights. That's right, and you also have your responsibilities. And I got my privileges, right? And you have your obligations. So you can't have one without the other. You can't be an adult and, and expect to only have rights. You also have responsibilities. So Jesus began this life, and he, he, he was you know, born of a virgin, right? Lived a sinless life. Right? You all said the Apostles' Creed once or twice in your life, right? So now he is an adult, and he's going to the River Jordan to be baptized. And in Matthew chapter 3, it says that John the Baptist says that I baptize with water, but one that's coming after me is going to be greater than I, and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what John said about Jesus. And when he, when Jesus came walking up to him, he said behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he went to John to get baptized and then John says to Jesus, "Hey, I should be baptized by you, not you by me." So he was going back and forth with him and then Jesus said, "Permit it to be so, for thus it's fitting to fulfill to fulfill all righteousness." And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up Out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw a Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. And suddenly a voice came, verse 17, suddenly a voice came from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God honored him publicly as his Son. Now, I got a question for you. Had Jesus healed anyone up until this point? It's not recorded. If he did, it's not recorded in Scripture. Okay? Had he raised anybody from the dead? Nope. Had he made any blind people see? Nope. Had he done anything remarkable? Well, he lived a sinless life, but that was kind of, that was remarkable, but people didn't realize it. But other than that, he was just a really good, nice person up until this point. He never sinned. He never said a wrong word. My guess is he hit his thumb with a hammer because he was a carpenter, and he didn't say a naughty word, right? See, but Jesus hadn't done anything really remarkable. He hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. He hadn't gone into hell and and beat the devil. He hadn't been raised from the dead. He hadn't done any part of his mission yet. And yet God still said, This is my beloved, or the one that I love, son, in whom I am well pleased. For all of us to remember this, that God said he was well pleased with Jesus, before he did one single thing toward his destiny. He was well pleased with Jesus because he was his son, not because of what he's done. So I would say, I would submit this to all of us tonight, that that you get alone with God sometime in the next 24 hours. Get alone with God and say, God... Am I pleasing to you? And just ask him. And then be quiet. And then let him talk to you. Because he's going to tell you, I love you so much. I'm so pleased in you. Thank you for seeking me out. Thank you for taking this time with me. That's how God's going to respond when you go to him humbly and say, Pastor Bernie talked about that you were well pleased with Jesus. Are you well pleased with me? Just ask him. You know what he's going to say? I am so well pleased with you. I am so proud of you. And you'll say, but why? I stink. Or I'm bad at this. Or I blew it there. Or I did this wrong. And he's going to say, yeah, you did, but you repented. And I'm so proud of you for repenting. See, God is, God views us like the most gracious grandfather that we, and you've ever heard of. Like, Grandpa, you can do anything to Grandpa, and he'll still love you. That's just kind of, kind of how it works. You know, my grandkids, they do all kinds of crazy stuff, and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. It's all good. I'm Grandpa. We can handle it. You know, as you look at God saying this to Jesus, it's really important. And I'm going to really hammer this point tonight, that God was well-pleased, not based on anything Jesus had done. It's important that it was the first mention after the genealogy, Jesus got baptized and God was already pleased with him. So I would just say this, that all of us just say to, just close your eyes and say, God is well pleased with me. Just say it. God is well pleased with me. And that that may seem a little awkward or it may seem a little um, uncomfortable. But the reality is God is well pleased with you. And you say, well, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. But I would submit this to you. If you'll just turn from whatever it is you've done and turn to the one who can help you, he will be well pleased in you. He will receive you. And he will love you. He's not going to reject you. He's not going to turn away from you. Every time... This is important. Every time God speaks a word over anyone, like God spoke a word over Jesus there. God the Father spoke a word over Jesus. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I think it's important that we all remember every time we receive a revelation or a word or a prophecy or some kind of a affirmation from God, that every time we receive something like that from God, you just have to realize the enemy is there and he's going to try to bugger things up. It's just welcome to this world. That's just what happens. Okay, As soon as God says something, the devil wants to come right up alongside him and say, no, he's not. He's not pleased in you. Who do you think you are saying God's pleased in you? God's not pleased in you. Don't you remember when you said that naughty word or whatever the devil's over there chattering, just tell him to shut up. Tell him tell him to go back to where he came from. Here it's no different here. If you look here Matthew chapter 4 verse 3, it says Now the spirit of God drove Jesus into the desert and when he was out there and he fasted for 40 days. He didn't eat anything for 40 days, 4-0. It says, and afterwards, he was hungry. <laughs> no kidding. 40 days, no food, he's hungry. What does the devil come and tempt him with? Here's, here's what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. It says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. So, God just spoke from heaven, people. God spoke from heaven that Jesus was his son and that he was pleased. And the next thing you know, the devil's out there going, if you're really the son, then turn these stones into bread. Do something so I can see it. Prove it, because I don't believe you. That's what the devil's saying. So anytime God gives you a word, and he gives you a word that says, this is who you are, this is who you are in Christ, the the devil's right there saying, oh, yeah? You think you're so great? What about that? What about that? What about that? The enemy's always there to oppose. And you have to realize that that is just the way it is. And you have to answer the same way Jesus answered, He answered with the word of God. You don't have to answer the questions that the devil asks you. I'll say it again. You don't owe the devil an answer when he asks you a question. If the devil asks you a question, ask him a question back. I had the privilege of spending some time with a, with a guy who was worth about a billion dollars. About 30 years ago, I had a chance to spend some time with him. He didn't give me no money. Don't worry. But that's how he got to be a billionaire. He, you know, kept it. But he did give me some good advice. He said this to me. Who's ever asking the questions is in charge. So if the devil ever asks you a question ask him one back so he knows that you're in charge. So if a devil asks you, what are you going to do about this? You know what you say back? I don't know, devil, what you're going to do when you're in hell forever. I don't know, devil, what you're going to do when fire is consuming you, but you can't die forever in the lake of fire. Ha! See, there's all kinds of questions you can ask the devil when he asks you a question. Ask him about his future. That's, that's always a good place to start. But Jesus just said to, to him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Okay, so he got through that one. It was a very real temptation. Jesus could have turned those stones into bread. He turned five loaves and two fishes into food for 20,000 people just a little while later. So he could have very well turned those stones into bread if he wanted to, or if he chose to, okay? So it was a very real temptation, but because the enemy was pushing at his identity as a son, he had to answer with the word of God. Matthew 4, 6. See, that that attack right there, if you're really the son of God, do something about it. Take control of your life, Provide for yourself is what this was. This was an attack on the on the Father's promise of provision for Jesus. Because he said, Here you are, you're hungry, you haven't eaten in 40 days, you're hungry, I know you're hungry. If you're really the Son of God, turn these stones into bread because your heavenly father ain't taking care of you. It was a it was really provide for yourself. Be independent from God's provision. You make your own bread. Don't you wait for God. You make your own bread. And it it, it fostered that attack on God's fatherhood of provision over Jesus. That's, That's what it also attacked. Then next he says, if you're the son of God, he took him to the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, if you're really the son of God, throw yourself off this pinnacle. For it's written, he'll give his angels charge over you, and they'll bear you up, lest you dash your foot on a stone. So he's trying to get Jesus, he's trying to get Jesus to doubt or to prove God's protection. See, part of the sonship is provision, protection, promotion. God will provide for us, he'll protect us, and he'll promote us. As a son, that's what he's promised to do. He'll make provision for us, he'll protect us, and he'll promote us. Promotion does not come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. Promotion comes from the Lord. So he was first attacked God's provision of Jesus, the, the fatherhood of provision. Then he comes after the protection. He says, hey, throw yourself off. Just throw yourself off. It, God will protect you. He was trying to get him to tempt God. And again, to take things into his own hands. And Jesus said, Thou shalt tempt not the Lord thy God. So he answered again with a word. And the third temptation that the devil brought to him was a shortcut. The longest distance between two points is a shortcut. That's what my dad always used to tell me. That's the, don't ever take shortcuts. It's the longest distance between two points. So, so it's one of those old guy humor things, you know. Sorry. But as you look at this, this is what happened. He said, hey, Luke 4, 6. The devil came to Jesus and he said, all authority I will give you and their glory For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, I will give them all to you. See, Jesus' destiny was to become king of the world. Right? King of kings, lord of lords. That was his destiny. The devil, see, he tricked Adam and Eve back in the garden. God had given dominion over the earth to Adam. Adam disobeyed God, and the devil got to be the God little g of this world. He got dominion over this world by tricking Adam and Eve and them transferring their authority to him. Even you look at this verse, it says, All this authority I will give to you, for this has been delivered unto me. Who, who delivered it to him? Adam and Eve. They gave him authority, and he said, if you'll worship me, I'll give you exactly what you're trying to get, what you're here for, except for you won't have to go through all that rejection. You won't have to go through all that agony. You won't have to go through the betrayal. You won't have to go through all that suffering. You don't have to die. You don't have to do all that. I'll give it to you The quick way. Three easy steps. Bow down and worship me. That's what he said. So, that particular thing, what is that? That's a shortcut to a promotion. Those temptations are real. Shortcuts to promotions ruin people's lives. A shortcut to a promotion causes someone to lie on an expense report or to under under-report uh, under their income, or do something else that's dishonest, and it ends up coming back and ruining their reputation long term. That's a shortcut. That's something that the enemy tempts us with. It's trying to get a, fulfill a legitimate need in an illegitimate manner. That's a shortcut. See, and he tempted Jesus with this, and, he's, and then he says, if you'll just worship me, and Jesus' response was, get thee behind me, Satan get thee behind me. Out. I will not worship you. Get out. And that's the only answer that we have for the enemy. Get out. And the, the temptation for shortcut to promotion, the temptation for to doubt God's protection, or the temptation to provide for yourself instead of waiting for God's true provision. I mean, this goes throughout scripture. You look at Abraham. Abraham, He had been promised a son, and instead of waiting for the promise, he went and had a baby with with Hagar. He had a baby with an Egyptian maidservant because he didn't want to wait for God. And that's what birthed all the problems we have in the Middle East today, because he did that. See, so whenever a prophetic word or a voice comes for you, the devil is there to mess it up when pharaoh when, when Moses was called to be the deliverer, Pharaoh the devil stirred up Pharaoh to kill all the baby boys in Israel in the land of Goshen God, God was raising up a deliverer, and the devil just tried to kill him. why Because a word came a deliverer 's coming so the the devil stirs up Pharaoh to kill all the baby boys, and then the star comes, and the angels, for unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Right? The angels come and announce Jesus' birth. Next thing you know, Herod's trying to kill, or he does kill, every kid, three years old, every boy three years old and under in the whole city of Bethlehem, trying to wipe out the word that God had given over Jesus. See, so Don't think that whatever word you have, whatever promise you have, is just a guarantee that it's going to happen. The word that you have is an opportunity. God said to Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus then had to obey and to listen and to walk it out. So the word that you have, somebody says, well, I got a word. This is what's going to happen. And if it don't happen, then, then God must not be God. That's not how it works. You have a word. You are to steward that word. You have a word. You are to continue to press toward the fulfillment of that word any way that God leads you. But it's not yours to make come to pass, but it is yours to steward and to keep yourself available to fulfill that word, whatever that word is. You have to be open to it. But see, a, a word is not a guarantee they're not guarantees of fulfillment. They're releases of opportunities in your life. So when someone gives you a word about something that God has for you, you need to embrace it and say, Woo, that's an opportunity. And not re- not sit back. And see, for many years, the, the general idea was that Someone gave you a word and you'd go, "Well, if it's God, it'll come to pass and if not, oh well, I guess they were wrong." I would I would propose a different approach when you have a word. First of all, write it down. Anybody? Write it down whether it's in your phone or on paper somewhere where you can keep it. If someone if you have a word and you feel like it was from God and it resonated with your your heart, write that word down. Scripture talks about write the vision, make it plain that those that read it may run with it, though it tarry wait for it. Though it tarry, which means tarry a an uh, old word for though it takes its sweet time, wait for it. For in the end, it will come to pass. See, when you get a word from God, it doesn't mean that that's a guarantee that something's going to happen. It merely means that you have an opportunity to walk into something that God has planned for you. But the enemy's trying to not happen. The enemy's trying to booger it up. And all what we have to do is side with God in whoever, whatever, side, whatever side you get on is the side that's going to win. So you got the enemy trying to stop it. you got God going, hey, this is my plan for you. Now what are we going to do with our will? Are we going to agree with God and say, yes, Lord, whatever it takes. Yes, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to partner. I want to walk in this word. I want the, this is the direction I want to go. Or are you going to go, well, I don't know about that. That sounds kind of far-fetched. You're, you're, you're partnering with, the, with Satan if you're talking like that, you're partnering with him. So I would just encourage you to partner with God. If you have a word from God, partner with God on that word. Don't partner with the devil. He's a bad partner, okay? First Timothy 1.18. This is an extremely important verse. It says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, by what? By the prophecies, right? I mean, if you look at English structure, it's by the prophecies, you may wage a good warfare. So hold it. You're going to wage warfare with the prophecies spoken about you? I shared this particular verse at another church a few weeks ago. A guy comes up to me, because I had shared that same verse a year ago, and I had given this particular gentleman a word that I felt was from the Lord, and it was from Psalm chapter 90, and it was toward the end of the chapter, and it says, In your old age you shall bear much fruit, and you will flourish as you're planted in the house of the Lord. That's in Psalm chapter 90, it's toward the end, and God just quickened that verse to me for this gentleman. He was in his mid-70s, and I said, man, you think, you think you're slowing down. God's saying to you, you're going to bear more fruit in these next 10 years than you've borne your whole life. You're going to have more productivity. You're going to have more blessing. You're going to have more of everything you've ever wanted in the next 10 years, but you've got to get ready for it and get ready for the fight. I told him that last July, whatever the second Sunday in July was last year. He comes up to me this year, and he says, you remember that word you gave me last year? I said, no idea. <laughs> no. And he goes, well, you told me, and he read the whole thing to me. He said, a week after you gave me that word, I had a massive heart attack, and I was dying in the hospital. I was, there, I was, just, I was had a massive heart attack. He said, it was a week later, I had a massive heart attack. He says, and I heard your word in my head, and I said, to the nurse, I can't die. My best days are still ahead. God just told me. He said, and, and when he said that, he said strength just came into him and the nurse just looked at him and goes, well, I guess we better not let you die. And he's healthy as a horse. He's not he has no, no uh, lasting effects from the heart attack. He has 100% usage of his heart. He's already gone on, and he's involved in three or four different ministries. He said, I'm just having a ball. That's what he said to me. But he said, that verse, he told me this two weeks, or I think it was two weeks ago. He said, that verse and what you shared with me, I did warfare with that verse. And that was what propelled me through that heart attack when they were telling me they didn't know if I was gonna live or die. And he just said, I just, yelled, I've got to live. God told me my best days are yet to come. Had no idea when I gave him that verse. No idea. None whatsoever. See, when you give somebody a word, you don't know what it is. You don't know what they're going for. All you've got to do is just find out what God has told you and be faithful to share it. That's all you got to do. But then as the recipient, he understood it and he did this very verse. He waged a warfare with the prophecy spoken over him. He waged a warfare. He said, hold it. God said, my best days are yet to come, so I better not die. I just turned 60, I know some of you think that's young, some of you think that's really old. It is what it is, I don't care. So I'm 60, and I said to my son, who's 23, no, he's 22, I'm sorry, he's 22, I said, man, how'd I get to be 60? He looks at me with this wry little smile that he has, and he goes, well, Dad, you just keep refusing to die. I said, I guess that's why, huh? I just keep refusing to die. I just, I'm going to continue to refuse to die. I'm going to just continue to uh, decide to live. And that, the words that we get from God, and th- when I say a word that you get from God, it can be a scripture that jumps off the page to you. This morning, I was up really early, like 4 a.m., and I was listening to, the, to, uh, to a book by Andrew Womack called Effortless Change. Great book. I'll put a plug in for it. Uh, it's called Effortless Change. And I was listening to it at about 4, 4.30 this morning. I listened to it for like an hour and a half. And in there, he said something, and it went off in me like a bomb. It was like, whoa, I get it. See, that's a word from God. That's revelation knowledge. Somebody else gave it to, Andrew Womack was the vessel, but really it was me listening to an audiobook and me paying attention and the Holy Spirit just breathed life on that one particular concept and I went, and I literally, it's something so simple, you would all look at me and go, duh, okay? It's that simple, but you don't understand it means something different to me now because the Holy Spirit brought it to life. That's called revelation knowledge. And it's not something new. It's something that I already knew, but it was like, wow, I get it. It's like the light went on. That's a word from God. See, it's not just somebody else giving you a word. It could be the Father talking directly to you like Jesus. Or it can be in Jeremiah where it says, When you were in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations, it says in Jeremiah 1.5. See, that was a specific word to Jeremiah, but it could be a word to you if he breathes life on it in your heart. When I say you need a word from God, you don't need to chase Benny Hinn around. Love Benny Hinn, but you don't need to chase him around. You don't need to go chase Randy Clark around. Love Randy Clark. He's coming here next spring. But you don't need to chase him around. You need to get in your quiet place, get your Bible, spend an inordinate amount of time reading your Bible, more time than you think is wise, read your Bible, spend time with God, and get a word from God, one that, brings, one that goes,
1: wow,
0: when you think about it. And when that happens, what happens is you can wage warfare with revelation knowledge. You can actually wage warfare with that revelation knowledge. 1994, my dad was in a coma. Some, some of you have heard this already. 1994, he fell over, my dad. Fell over, threw up, had diarrhea, had a massive stroke. He was brain dead by three in the morning, he was brain dead. The doctors were telling us he was brain dead. Some of my family members were already mourning his loss and talking about his funeral. And I just couldn't do it because I knew that there was more that my dad had to do. And so I got with my mom and I said, mom, I ain't ready to give up. Will you stand with me? And she said, absolutely. So she said, but what about your sisters? I said, I'll kick them out. So I got them all really mad at me, and I kicked a couple of them out of the room because they were talking doubt and unbelief. I said, you know, you don't wanna, if you don't want to agree with us in prayer, you can leave. Because we're believing for Dad to live, and if you talk about his funeral one more time, I'm going to throw you out of the room. It's just the way it is. So. But I was doing warfare with a word I had from God because I had spent the time praying for my dad. I stayed up all night, 36 hours, I was awake by his bed. I was commanding the swelling in his brain to go down. I was commanding the mountain of blockages to be removed and cast into the sea. And if I said it once, I said it a thousand times. And I stood there and I just stood and stood and stood through the night, through the night, through the night, through the, night, through the morning, through the day, through the night, and just praying over him, pacing back and forth, got into an argument with the doctor, fired the doctor. That was interesting. Got a new doctor who was a Christian and laughed because I yelled at the other doctor. You know, just one of those. I wasn't perfect. You know, whatever. He he told me my dad was dead, and I said my dad's not dead. He goes, your dad's dead, and I said you can leave. I'm the doctor. I don't care. See ya. And he left and I got a new doctor, and that new doctor stood with us. He said, I don't know where your dad's at and if he's gonna live or die, but he said, when I'm old, I hope my kids fight for me like you're fighting for your dad. And my dad recovered. He was brain dead. He was literally brain dead. The top surgeon at Spectrum Health, Neuro, said he was brain dead and there was no hope, and he lived. Three and a half years more he lived. And unfortunately, when he was when he was unconscious, he couldn't undo the power of God with his own words. But once he got well, he got well. And once he got well, he stopped, he started talking doubt and unbelief all the time. And then he got cancer back and he died three and a half years later. But not until we had a lot of healing that happened in our family. Two days before my dad died, I did communion with the entire family. And I led the entire family in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus while my dad was getting ready to go to heaven. And then that night, my dad went to heaven. See, but it started with a word from God, fighting, doing warfare with a word. Well, you got to get alone, get a word from God, and then fight with it. Because God will tell you things and show you things about yourself and show you things about your future and you need to hold on to those things and never let go. Don't you settle for something else just because it looks like it's tarrying. You know, like back to that scripture, write the vision, make it plain that those that read it may run with it. Though it tarry, wait for it. Don't give up on whatever dream or word that God has for you. And many times, what happens is the devil will send mean people into your life to try to discourage you. They'll say, Well, you know, my uncle had what you've got and he died. You look at him and say, Thanks for that encouragement and walk away. You know, when somebody is struggling with something physically, don't go up to him and tell him all the people that you know that died that had what they have. Okay, just don't do that because that's, you're being used by the enemy when you do that. Okay? Rather, say, well, we're believing with you, you know, just you hook your wagon to theirs and help them. Don't uh, tell them all the, th- all the reasons why they're going to fail, okay, because that's, that's no good. So, but as you go forward and as you have this dream, as you have this, this vision of where God wants you to be, it starts with this, no longer do I call you servants or slaves for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard, my Father, I have made known to you. Romans eight fourteen. for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. See, we're not a slave, we're not an employee, we're a son. Sons have different privileges with the father. It says we have full access to the throne room of God. Demons don't have access to the throne room of God. We have access to the throne room of God. It says approach boldly, right, the throne of grace to obtain mercy. We have access to the throne room. We have access to go into God's presence at any time that we choose. We have access as a son, that he's made us sons. You aren't a slave, you aren't an employee. You don't have to earn what you get from God. He freely gives. He'll walk with you. See, but there's events in our lives that hinder our identity. God tells you that you're a son, and then something happens, and you don't feel like a son, you feel like a slave. Or God tells you that you're blessed and then something happens and you don't feel like you're blessed, you feel like you're cursed. Or something else is wrong or somebody rejects you and you, he says you're accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1, 6, that you're accepted in the beloved, but then you get rejected by your brothers or your sisters or your wife or your husband. See, it doesn't, you don't feel like you're accepted because you just got rejected, Right? So that's where you have to do that warfare again. That you have a word from God that even if your, Psalm 29 says that even if my mother and father and my family forsake me, God, you will never forsake me. That I have a word from God that God will never leave me nor forsake me no matter what happens in my life, no matter who decides that they're done, no matter who decides that they're gonna quit on me, that God will never quit on me. See, that's a word that will sustain you. You can do warfare with the I am accepted and the beloved, and he will never leave me nor forsake me. That's how you do warfare. You find that word, and you grab a hold of it, and you say, no, devil, I am not forsaken, for God will never forsake me. He's here with me right now. Let's talk about your future, devil, and he'll run away. Or you can just start praising praising Jesus, they start singing really loud and off key. He'll run away. I don't have to even try to sing off key. It just comes natural. But as we go forward and as we hear the word and as we realize that God is well pleased in us because we're his sons. We're his children. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do everything right for God to, to be pleased with us. Many years ago, wife and I were in Florida, and we had just gone to visit my mom, and things didn't go terribly. It just didn't go very well with my mom, and and it was just, I was in a funky mood, and I was wrong, And like normal. I was wrong, And uh, but I was wrong in this case, and uh, I snapped at her about something stupid, you know, that doesn't matter, and all that stuff, and just the dumb things you do. So I was feeling kind of bad. She was a little miffed at me, and I was feeling bad. So I got up really early in the morning. I was walking on the beach by myself, and I was kind of watching the sunrise and walking on the beach and thinking, well, this really stinks. I'm on vacation in Florida, and I'm mad at my wife. How dumb am I? Right? And I was sitting there looking at the sunset. I'll never forget this. I was looking at the sunset, and the Holy Spirit said to me, as loud and clear as I've ever heard him, he said, I'm so proud of you, son. And I'm like, I think you got the wrong guy. And he goes, no, I'm so proud of you. I'm like, nah, you're not proud of me right now. I'm certainly not proud of me right now. Why would you? He goes, I'm so proud of you, son. I'm like, why? He goes, because you don't give up. I'm like, that's it? Because I don't give up? I got to do better than that. And, I, you know, but what it, one of my point is this, is that when we think we stink or we think we're doing so poorly, God in his grace is saying to you, if you'll just turn to me, I'm just so proud of you. I can't help myself. I'm just so proud of you. And it's like, it's something that's so foreign to us as performance-based individuals, it's hard to understand unless you're a grandfather. And if you ever become a grandfather, you understand the heart of God so much better. Because you know what? No matter what my grandchildren do, I think they're the best kids in the whole world. I tell him that all the time. I go, Remmer, you are the best boy in the whole world. That's Jake's boy. I go, you are just the best. And he goes, what about Bo? He's the best, too because I only have two grandsons. And I said, you're the best two boys in the whole world. And sometimes they cry and they break things and this, that, and the other things. And I'm just like, oh, you're still the best boys in the whole world. Because it's not about what they do. I finally actually have a better revelation of how God views us because I'm a grandpa. And it's like, yeah, I don't care if you break my stuff. I'm good. It's okay. I used to get all mad when the kids broke stuff. Now it's like, yeah, you broke it, so what? I'll buy another one. You know, (laughs) I don't get upset about that anymore. Why? I I don't know. Probably because I'm older and maybe a little bit smarter, hopefully. But my point is this. No matter what we do, God loves us and he is well-pleased. Now, he doesn't always well-pleased in our actions. Don't get me wrong. If you're out there committing all kinds of stupid sin and all kinds of detrimental behavior, God is not pleased in your behavior, but he still loves you. And if you'll turn to him, he will accept you with open arms. Many times there's, there's incidences and there's things in our lives that happen, and it comes in direct opposition to a word or a plan that God has for your life. I mean, let's face it. Herod tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. Pharaoh tried to kill Moses when he was a baby the devil doesn't fight fair he hits you when you're young he hits you when you're vulnerable he kicks you when you're down that's the way the devil works so there's events in our lives that happen and what we've got to do is we've got to allow the holy spirit to reveal the events in our lives that are weighing down or clouding God's word for our lives you may have a calling on your life to do something but because of one word from somebody you might not be pursuing it. I know a I know a very a close friend of mine who's quite a bit older than me. If he's listening, he's a lot older than me. He tells the story of when he was young and he overheard his parents talking and he was a twin, and he overheard his parents talking about his twin brother, and then they made a joke that his twin brother was got all the brains out of the two kids, and, and the other one didn't, wasn't nearly as smart as the other one. He was 70 years old, and his parents were both gone, and his aunt finally told him one time that, "'Your mother didn't think that about you. What are you talking about?' And he had to really go through and undo a wound that was in him that was hindering his self-image and his ability to really fulfill God's plan in his life because he overheard something and he misunderstood or somebody made a joke and he thought they were serious and hindered his life. He said, my whole life I thought I wasn't as good as him and my whole life I thought he was smart and I wasn't. All because somebody made a silly joke and thought they were funny. And I would just say challenge whatever it is, what belief system and, and say, say to God, God, what is it in my past that might have attacked your destiny in my life? What is it? What, what thing, what cloud has the devil placed over my life that might be hindering me from really fulfilling your ultimate plan? in my life? What person did hurtful things to me that still hurt me and are still causing pain maybe from 70 years ago? Who knows? And those are real things. And I have a simple prayer that I'd like to pray over us, and if you would, um, pray it with me. I'm just going to repeat this prayer, and then we're going to Draw it to a conclusion because it's seven forty-five and I got to be done. But we're just going to pray this prayer. If you would close your eyes and just repeat this prayer, I'm, trust me, it's not going to be anything bad. You're not going to worry about it. It's going to be good. Say, Father, reveal any event from my past that birthed insecurity in me. I forgive that person. I forgive myself. I break the spirit of shame that entered my life through that event. Lord, remove any false identity that I may have received through this event. Father, I receive your acceptance, your honor, and your blessing on my life. Father, remind me of who I am and help me to stay in your presence in Jesus name amen that prayer is a prayer of if you will if you'll just pray that prayer and just say and just spend some time with God God will reveal to you events i've prayed that prayer for for quite a few years i've prayed that prayer over myself and God has continually unearthed and peeled back layers and layers of events and things that were hindering me. And I can go, wow, yeah, and I can peel it back and then you can walk in what God has for you.